Cardiac disease in the United States is the classic example of why we have to look at things with a sex and gender lens. 1985 is the year that I graduated medical school, and that's the year that the lines crossed for when men or women died of heart disease in the United States than men. We always thought that heart disease was a man's disease, so how could more women be dying every year? So rethinking everything about our approach allowed us to improve the health of women. And if that's true for heart disease, why not GI diseases? Why not brain diseases? Because the truth is, it's all different. Welcome to 20-Minute Health Talk. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle, and today's special guest is Dr. Stacy Rosen. She's the Senior Vice President for Women's Health at the Katz Institute for Women's Health and Partners Council Professor of Women's Health at the Donald and Barbara Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell. Dr. Rosen, thank you so much for joining us on 20-Minute Health Talk. It's March. It's Women's History Month, and we're talking about an exciting new initiative called Raise Health at Northwell Health, uh, really to empower women. Tell us a little bit about this campaign. Yeah, no, it's our new Northwell campaign, and it's truly a rallying cry for our community, and particularly our women, to improve their own health. Northwell knows better than anyone that what goes on in your doctor's office, in our hospitals, in our emergency department, is only a small percentage of how you stay healthy as an individual. And if you and we get out into our communities and really take care of the holistic needs of our patients, we know the communities will do better. The raise health for women is the fact that 51% of our population is female, yet women have been understudied, underrepresented in trials, misdiagnosed for decades. And so the raise health for women's health at CATS is really our um, igniting a movement to really see women's health differently. Yeah, I think what's so great, um, there's an ad for- oh, right? fabulous. Yeah, and it shows a woman breaking the mold. Absolutely. As they say, every cell in your body has a sex, mm. not just the parts covered by a bikini. And, you know, historically, the model for healthcare, for research, for clinical practice has always been man. And the assumption was that women were the same, except for those pesky hormones, as we joke. But the truth is, when we practice that way, when we did research that way, women didn't do as well. Their outcomes were poorer. And we had to sort of rethink the entire assumption that man and women are the same. Yeah. And you're a cardiologist. So obviously, you saw a big discrepancy. There were a lot more women dying from, from heart problems than there were men. Yeah, that's actually cardiac disease in the United States is the classic example of why we have to look at things with a sex and gender lens. 1985 is the year that I graduated medical school, and that's the year that the lines crossed for when men, more women died of heart disease in the United States than men. And the death rates for women continued to rise and rise and rise for the next 25 years, despite all these great advances in cardiac health. Men actually started to die at slower rates. So we realized that this couldn't be one size fits all. And ironically, we always thought that heart disease was a man's disease. So how could more women be dying every year? So rethinking everything about our approach allowed us to improve the health of women. And if that's true for heart disease, why not GI diseases? Why not orthopedic diseases? Why not brain diseases? Because the truth is, it's all different. Yeah. A few months back, I, I was lucky enough to be a part of, uh, I watched this ceremony, the white coat ceremony. Tell me, tell us a little bit about the white coat ceremony and what it means. No, it was a really spectacular day for us and, and, and really um, uh, aligning the Katz Institute as a formal institute at Northwell, as Dean Smith says to me, is a really big deal. So we all know what a 
surgeon is, what a cardiologist is, but what is a woman's health expert? You know, historically it was our gynecology friends and maybe our breast doctors, but the truth is at Northwell, we've got extraordinary expertise in women's sports medicine, in women's liver diseases, in migraine, in women's heart, and go on and on and on. So this is a formal process where scientists, doctors, as well as other allied health professionals, nurse practitioners, PAs, uh, therapists, can apply to become members of the Institute. And on that day, we had a ceremony with Dean Smith, Mark Salazzo, that we put the white coat on with our beautiful logo, our beautiful service mark, to really kind of be a shout out to our patients and other referrals that this is a special group. Yeah. And this is Women's History Month, like we said. So it's so great to raise awareness. And I I think that one thing that you've always talked about is that women, for the most part, are the chief medical officer in the family. They're really concerned about making sure everybody else is okay and healthy, but often they don't really, they put themselves last. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where gender comes in, how women are perceived and and, uh, relate in society. So most of the medical decisions in families are made by women, uh, 80 to 90%. Yet women will always put their family's needs first. And that's been particularly bothersome during the last COVID year when women are often missing their preventive health visits, taking care of themselves last, potentially not feeling well and still not feeling um, empowered to advocate for themselves to take, take better care of themselves. Yeah. And uh, so this is the Cats Women's Institute for Health. Tell us a little bit about who Iris and Saul Katz are and what is their mission? So they tell an amazing story. Um, they are truly revolutionizing how women's health is, is perceived. Iris told me the story that years ago, and it's a cardiac story, there was science that showed that men should take a baby aspirin a day. And the two of them were using the same internist and the the physician told Saul to start taking a baby aspirin. It'll prevent the first heart attack and stroke. And Iris wisely said, well, what about me? And the doctor correctly says, well, we didn't study any women. And that was unacceptable to her, of course, Um, as was the idea that um, not all women should get the same care as she does, you know, being someone who's so aligned with our health system. So they, before I even joined the Institute, had this vision of truly aligning women's health needs around the patient, not around the way doctors work, being sure that women were uniquely studied and treated as, you know, separate from men, and also to be sure that we were out in our communities educating, advocating for all women that Northwell serves. I think, I'm not sure if you said this, but I think I remember hearing somebody say this once before is that people kind of, when they get into relationships, they don't want to leave that relationship. And sometimes when people aren't happy with a doctor or a nurse, sometimes they, they just stick with it because they don't really know how to maybe, I don't know, break up with their doctor. But what, what would your advice to be to women who aren't feeling like they're getting the best care they can from, from their healthcare provider? No, that's a really important question because we, we, we talk a lot about how to be a good patient, and that includes self-advocacy. So firstly, we, we, we teach all women and cats, we do a tremendous amount of community education, how to be a good patient. So keep your own records. You know, we joke you would never show up to your accountant, it's almost April, right. without having all your paperwork. So, you know, own your records. Do your, your um, homework about the kind of doctor you'd like to go to. Come prepared with questions. Maybe bring someone else with you. And if you feel that you're not being heard, we use the term gaslighting. If you feel you're not being heard by your doctor, find someone else or let them know that this isn't working for you. 
we joke that women would fire a hairdresser, you know, with one haircut, <laughs> yet they will continue to go to a doctor who really doesn't understand their unique needs. And I think your relationship with your doctor over a lifetime is one of the most important relationships you'll have. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the cat's priorities is four priority pillars. Tell us a little bit about these pillars. Sure. So our pillars actually come from the 1990s when um, the National Institutes of Health and the Department of Health and Human Services defined what a center of excellence for women looks like. And the first is clinical programming. And we know that women's health needs are unique, but we also know that women need their doctors and their clinical programs aligned. We can't stay in silos. So one of our priorities is growing unique programs. Our pelvic floor program, for instance, includes doctors and scientists and other professionals in six different departments because the women don't care where our diplomas come from. They have an issue. We figure it out for them. The second is research. If we don't ask the question, how are women different, we're never going to get past this dated approach to women's health. The third is education. And for us, that means lay audience, you know, educating uh, um, our, our consumers, our, our patient consumers, so that they are better able to navigate healthcare, but also professional education. I'm a cardiologist, yet this morning I was with our breast disease and breast cancer group, learning more about what they do for our women. And then finally, community partnerships. Again, Northwell knows that what goes on in our facilities is only a small part and that we need to be out our, in our communities, of our communities, respectful of the, the various communities we serve and really partnering with them to optimize women's health. Yeah, I think that that's so true when people go to the doctor's office or go to an emergency room, they're nervous. They want to be told everything is okay. So I guess it could be difficult for people. What would your advice be for somebody who knows that maybe something's not right? How do you say that to somebody or a clinician to say, hey, you know, like, I don't know everything about medicine, but maybe you can do this or that, or what, what would be the best um, route when you're in, when you think something's not right? Yeah. So I give two suggestions. First, what would you do if you were the parent of that person or the spouse or the friend of that person and you were watching an interaction and you didn't like the outcome? You would, it's so much easier to advocate for somebody else. Sure. So think of that voice that you, you know, the questions you would ask, how you would respond and do that for yourself. The second thing is I tell people to practice as if they were ordering a coffee at a coffee place. You know, no drama, no, you know, I'll take a latte with no sugar. Doctor, I don't really think I understand what you're saying to me. Could uh, you repeat it? I don't really think that you're hearing my complaints and my cardiac history or my diarrhea has not gone away. Yeah. Can we discuss it a little further? Yeah, I think that's a great point because I think sometimes in no fault of a doctor, right, or a clinician, but sometimes they just assume Absolutely. that somebody's going to understand because they come from this medical. It's almost like a different language. So I guess there's no harm in saying, can you tell me that in lay terms or- Absolutely. Right. And, 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 and it's a great point, Rob, because we also now need to teach our clinicians and our doctors, our scientists and, and other professionals about health literacy. You know, I was, I, I, I was taught, um, you know, before we finish an exam to say, what questions do you have for me? So that yeah. there's really an opportunity, because even if you say something, do you have any questions? The patients are nervous. Oh, no, 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 doctor, you look busy. So we have to be better um, attuned to the patient's needs. And this is how we train our medical students and our advanced, you know, practice nursing students at Zucker. And um, it makes the partnership better. 
Yeah, that's great. Um, so we just kind of went through this whole thing of COVID. Hopefully we're, we're coming out of this. It looks like the light is getting brighter yep. and brighter every day. You had COVID. What was your experience like? Yeah, we, our family was joking. It's a year ago. I remember actually driving into Manhattan on March 14th. I was actually on the phone with Dr. Nimroff and Dr. Rochelson because we realized that despite all of the shutdown, pregnant women still need to come to hospitals. And CATS and the OBGYN and MFM group, we put together a call line to be sure that our women were, were safe. We picked up my 27-year-old son to bring him home from his small Manhattan apartment. And a day later, he had a fever and chills. And the bad mom that I am, I told him it was nothing, go to sleep. And the next morning we woke up, I thought, you have COVID, don't you? <laughs> so he got sick. Then I tested positive. My husband tested positive. And um, you know, it was right at the beginning. So it was a little bit, um, we didn't know enough to be terrified. I, I, I think you know now the um, varied ways that this disease can harm people is really known to us. And it is terrifying. Um, we were sick for a long time, but at home and, you know, thank goodness we've been fine. I, I can tell you when I sat in a rest auditorium, I cried when I got my vaccine because the, the, the scientific genius and, and, and the operational ability to get this done in such a short time is nothing short of miraculous. So say yes to a vaccine. You said you cried when you got the vaccine. How empowered do you feel now knowing that you're vaccinated, that you have 95% protection against this virus? Well, I feel great, but I feel great, not just for me, a sort of a degree of safety, but I know that this is the right thing that we have to do for each other, and, you know, with our families, with our seniors, with the people we, you know, check out with at the, at, at the food stores. I mean, this is something that, you know, we should all feel good about doing for each other. There's a lot of people that probably put off their doctor's visits. How important is it for everybody, including women, to, to make sure that they start to catch up on, on some of these appointments that maybe they missed. Yeah, it's, it's really critical. And, and, you know, Northwell did a wonderful job in making our offices and our hospitals safe and even in, in communicating that message to our communities. I think now that we're at the year mark and we are getting to a much better place, now's the time to look at all of the preventive things that you need to do annually. For women, it may be mammograms or gynecologic exams, but it may be eye exams or their cardiologists. It is not the time to lose track of all of those things because what a pity it will be. We'll all get through the COVID, you know, pandemic and crisis and, and, and miss the opportunity to prevent some, some conditions that, you know, could be otherwise really problematic. So go back to your doctors. We are going to do a segment in our show we like to call knee-jerk reactions. So I'm going to ask you, it's kind of like a lightning round. I'm going to throw out some phrases or words, and I just want your initial reaction to when I say it. So vaccines. Say yes. Mm -hmm. Trust science. They, we've talked to other experts, and they're saying, you know, a lot of the, the hesitancy seems to be with women who are pregnant or wanting to get pregnant. Uh, what do you say to those women um, who are on the fence about the vaccine? Because... Of, of pregnancy or expected pregnancy. Yeah. Ask the question of your gynecologist, obstetrician, or of anyone in the CATS Institute, because the answer is still yes. And the, and trust science because pregnant women at certain stages in their pregnancy are actually at particularly high risk for bad outcomes if they develop COVID. Say yes. Okay. Health raisers. 
Ah, so 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 that's fabulous because you know it's a little takeoff on Hellraisers. Um, you know, Northwell's approach is we're innovative, we're courageous, and, and we want to be someone who teaches our you know consumer patients how to advocate for themselves and not tolerate things that are unfair. Raise your health. Raise your health. Be a exactly. health raiser. All right. Here's a name. Elizabeth Blackwell. Ah, so Northwell Katz um, uh, is actually hosting. There's a great new book written about the Blackwell sisters who were the first and third female doctors in the United States. And the author is actually doing an author's night with us here at Northwell on March 24th. So anybody, you know, for Northwell um, team members can, can, it's a free event, will be great. Her story is extraordinary. And the book is remarkable. Um, the class voted her acceptance as a joke, actually, because the school was only open to men and wow. the male classmates thought, all right, let's, 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 you know, irritate this woman. Let's, let, let's include her. So the history of the first woman doctor in the United States is a fascinating one. Oh, wow. I definitely want to learn more about that now. Uh, preventative health. Ugh, all in. So many of our diseases are, um, uh, can be prevented. Heart health is, is you know, 90% of women have a risk. 90% of your risk is preventable. It is never too early and never too late to start on prevention. STEM. Uh, we need more women. Science, <laughs> technology. So in my field in cardiology, only 15% or so of cardiologists nationwide are women. And, 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 and that's a waste. We know the value of diversity in, in every group, whether it's engineers or cardiologists or mathematicians. So getting young women to see how exciting a career in STEM is, 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 is critical. Perfect segue into the next phrase, which is women in research. Yeah. So that's two important things. One is women being the investigators. And, and you know, at the Feinstein Institute, there's a great organization called Awesome, which focuses on advancing the careers of women in medicine and science. And it's spectacular. But it's also women need to agree to participate in research trials. Because if we don't have women uh, in trials, then we can't answer the question, how are women different? Yeah. How important are those research trials? Critical. They answer everything. Every, you know, almost every important clinical advance ultimately included clinical trials. And historically, women um, were either specifically left out or they were not encouraged to participate. Um, cardiology trials in the last 10 years, about 38% have included women. And that's crazy because the disease is 50-50. Wow. How, how time consuming, how difficult is it to become involved in a clinical trial? Is it something that can be relatively easy? Yeah, absolutely. And the Feinstein Institute has a great website that we actually link on our CATS website to let con consumer patients know what trials are, are, um, are, are open for them. And we actually, on our CATS newsletter for the clinician members, we we highlight one ongoing research project so that women and other doctors will know about it to offer up as an option. That's awesome. And the last one on my knee-jerk reaction list is the future of women's health, women's heart health. Uh, so the future of women's heart health is improved outcomes because there is such a push to ask the questions, how is heart failure different in women? How is electrical problems? How is open heart surgery different in women? And if we always keep that at the top of mind, I think the outcomes for men and women will continue to improve. 
That's awesome. Well, we're almost at the end of our 20-minute health talk here. We always like to end on a positive note. So just tell me what gives you hope, what gives you optimism for going forward? Uh, when I see um, the importance of this approach and the acceptance of this, that this isn't about, you know, softness or red dresses or pink ribbons. This is about healthcare inequities. And when women's health is prioritized and valued, Families do better. Communities do better. And I'm very optimistic about improving the health of our communities here at Northwell. When you raise health for women, you raise health for everyone. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Dr. Stacy Rosen, thank you so much for joining us on 20 Minute Health Talk. And for you who tuned in, thank you so much. Have a great week and stay safe. Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.